and the pregnancy progressed pretty normally. We had the 12-week scan and then the 20-week scan. That, that was the one I was nervous about, where they check for anomalies. Is the baby healthy? And the baby was. The next morning, I woke up and I ooh, just wasn't sure if I was feeling any movements anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's that line that as parents you dread and that many people have heard, sadly. And she told us, I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat mm-hmm. and at that point. The crushing reality just sets mm. in. This baby has died. Most parents walk out with the baby in a car seat with the balloons and the flowers. And I remember walking past parents. They were in front of us, walking mm-hmm. with their baby, carrying their baby out. We saw others walking in with their car seat to go mm-hmm. and get the baby, to take the baby home. From his little booklet, Behind a Frowning Providence, and he said it was when Job was willing not to understand that he began to understand. Welcome to The Afterword, a conversation on books, reading in the church, a podcast by Westminster Bookstore. I'm your host, Johnny Gibson. And today I'm joined by the lovely Jackie Gibson. And I can pay her that compliment because she is indeed my wife. Uh, we've been married for over 15 years We were married in Sydney, Australia, on a beautiful sunny day in an old Anglican church. And then we had a reception at a lovely venue with the backdrop of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. And uh, we didn't really have a care in the world. It was uh, one of our happiest days of our lives. And uh, for the first eight years of our marriage, we would say we didn't really have a care in the world. We relocated to um, Cambridge, England for me to do a PhD and Jackie got a job as a teacher. And after about four years, we decided to try for children and the Lord blessed us with a son, Benjamin, straight away. And uh, we welcomed him into our family with great joy. Uh, And then after about a year or so, we decided we would try for a second child. And uh, Jackie, do you want to tell us uh, what that journey looked like for us sure I think because Ben came so quickly we just assumed that our next child would come just as quickly and so I was pretty perplexed when that first pregnancy test was negative after the first month of trying and then a month rolled into another month and another month and turned into years of actually not being able to conceive another child and entering that grueling month after month of disappointment of infertility So that was a painful time of wondering, would the Lord give us any more children? And then about two and a half years later, after trying, we did, I woke up early, did that pregnancy test. And I remember tapping Johnny on the back when he was sleeping and saying, I'm pregnant. Mm. And it was such a surprise. And we were so happy. We had waited for this baby. We had wondered, would this baby ever come be given to us from the Lord and Uh, So immediately it just felt like the most precious gift and I was instantly bonded to this baby. Mm. Uh, We lived in Cambridge, as Johnny said, and everyone cycles around Cambridge. And I remember very early on getting on my bike, I had Mm. Ben in the toddler seat behind me, just thinking I'm carrying two children on this bike. It was very early pregnancy, but I was all in straight away. Mm. And the pregnancy progressed pretty normally. We had the 12-week scan and then the 20-week scan. That, that was the one I was nervous about, where mm-hmm. they check for anomalies. Is the baby healthy? And the baby was. So we sort of thought, brilliant. Mm. Uh, the baby was due in the spring. And so as the pregnancy progressed, we started getting ready. We did all the things parents normally do when they're preparing for the birth of a child. Mm. We had a hospital bag packed, baby clothes washed, a little Moses basket set up and we were just waiting for the day labor would start. Mm. I remember uh, my parents had come the week before and helped us or just visited, but mm-hmm. helped us. We cleaned the house, yep. we got it all ready, mm-hmm. got the cot set up. Yeah, you know. everything was ready to go. And then about four about a week from the actual due date. It was a Sunday morning and I woke up and I just felt like I hadn't 
felt this baby move as much as normal. And actually through the pregnancy, it's a midwife system in the UK, they hadn't actually asked me to intentionally monitor movements, like lie down and count. So I hadn't been doing that intentionally, but of course as a mother you're always aware of the movements of your baby. But this day I just felt the movements had slowed down. So I said to Johnny, I, we'd been to church, we'd come home. I said, I, I need you to just take Ben for a walk. I phoned the hospital and spoke mm-hmm. to a midwife and told her I'm worried about my baby's movements. I said, can I come in to the hospital? Mm-hmm. She said, just take a minute, drink something cold, lie on your side and just count movements. Mm-hmm. Likely everything's fine. So I did do that. And after a while, I started to feel movements mm-hmm. And actually, quite a few movements. Mm. I'd just come back from the park with Ben and went upstairs and was had my hand on your tummy and was feeling them as well. You felt them too. Lots of kicks. Yeah. So we called the hospital. I reported how many movements I'd felt. And she said, oh, that's brilliant. You're totally fine. Yeah, it was 50 kicks in a minute. Yeah. And she said, is it 15 or 50? Yeah. And you said 50. And she said, oh, then you're totally yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, fifty over a few you know, a bit of time. Mm. So Johnny went to preach at church that evening. I went to bed and then the next morning I woke up and I ooh, just wasn't sure if I was feeling any movements anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we decided we needed to go into the labor and delivery suite to have that checked out. Um I think we both knew something was wrong. At that point, I don't think we knew quite how serious it was, mm. but we did have an, have an uneasy feeling as we drove to the hospital that morning. I remember yeah. trying to make light conversation. but Yeah, I, re- I remember trying to make light conversation, but also having a sick feeling in my mm. stomach, thinking, what if something is actually yeah. wrong here? But then thinking it it can't be like we've longed for this child. Yeah. First couple of years now, it's nine months they've been in the womb, they're due this week. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking it it can't be. It'll be all right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So we went into the nurse I think called us back and she was pretty positive because I'm sure a lot of anxious mothers come in at this point in pregnancy just to get checked out and she got out the like handheld Doppler to check for a heartbeat and she was very cheerful she said let's let's check to see where this baby's hiding but you know almost immediately you can hear my heartbeat through that monitor but there is not that familiar galloping heartbeat Mm. of a baby to be heard at all and at that point, you could just see her mood change very, very quickly. And she went to get a proper... Well, she went for a second Doppler okay. to say, this one's not working. Yeah. And then see him again. Yeah. to get your heartbeat. Yeah. And then said, I'll, I'll go get an ultrasound machine. Yeah. But as she left, she drew the curtain. That's right. And you and I never said a word to each other. No. We both just started crying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's obvious we're not hearing the baby's heartbeat, but they would not tell us for sure until they had the ultrasound machine. So it was wheeled in along with two or three other medical doctors. Uh, so very ominous at this point. And then there were technical difficulties for about two of the machines wouldn't start up or it started up and then it shut down. And then finally, the, the monitor, the picture on the monitor came up. I, I could not look at the picture of the baby, but Johnny was was watching it. And it's that line that as parents you dread and that many people have heard, sadly, and she told us, I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat. Mm. And at that point, the crushing reality just sets mm. in, this baby has died. Um, I remember, yeah. you know, they were all standing there and uh, they're... She said, I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat. And then it's just silence. But I, I mean, I was crying quite loudly, I mm-hmm. remember. And I said, no, 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 it cannot be. Mm-hmm. It cannot be. I, I just didn't believe mm-hmm. it. And, uh, but it was. Mm-hmm. That was the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think what's strange at that point is I was devastated, but thought, right. 
so now, of course, you'll wheel me into surgery and this baby will be taken out by a C-section, surely. Mm. And then they explain to you, no, actually, what's best for you is to go through labor naturally and give birth to this baby mm. naturally. And so we had to go home and wait for labor to start. So we left the hospital that day. Ben was at preschool. We picked him up to in total shock, mm -hmm. took him to the playground. I think a woman that day came up to me and said, when are you due? And I just told her the due date. I couldn't, couldn't explain what actually was the reality that mm -hmm. our baby was dead in my womb. Mm. And we've talked about those from, that uh, was a Monday morning, mm -hmm. Layla died on a Sunday night. And uh, that was a Monday morning when we confirmed she, she died and she wasn't stillborn to Thursday, mm -hmm. the 17th of March. Um, those We talk about those being the four darkest days mm -hmm. of our life mm -hmm. so far. Oh, yeah. Um, in those days and hours, um, did God feel distant to you or did he actually feel quite near in the midst of that grief? Mm -hmm. Those days, as as you just said, they were by far, and I hope I never have to experience days like that ever again, uh, between giving birth, knowing that my baby had died, but I'm carrying her full term in my womb, but there is stillness. Mm. And we would wake every morning having had terrible nightmares about not just this, but other things that were just disturbing and then you'd wake up and I would just feel no movement and just be reminded she had died. But the Lord felt actually very close in those four days. I mean, I was often by myself up in a bedroom, just lying down in a bed. Johnny took a lot of the looking after Ben, keeping things as normal as we could with him. But in those days of you're just desperately sad. The Lord felt like a very close companion. And it was in those days and the days after the stillbirth that God's word was just the only thing that fed us any kind of real comfort, hope, nourishment. We were more desperate for scripture than mm. we, I had ever been in my life. It was manna from heaven. It was. Wasn't it? Mm -hmm. it was manna from heaven. Yeah. I think our pastor came around in those days and I remember we just sat on the couch downstairs, I think back with our eyes closed, just listening, like, give us something from God's word to give us comfort mm. in those days. Mm. Mm. And so four days later, we headed to the hospital mm -hmm. on a early Thursday morning, misty morning, mm -hmm. but we had a real peace, a peace that it surpassed mm -hmm. understanding. We asked for prayer for from obviously lots of people and close friends, but we just wanted a, a quick labor. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, talk us through what that was like walking into a hospital ward where our son had been born mm -hmm. four years earlier. Yeah. Uh, just a few doors down. Mm -hmm. We here. saw the door. Yeah, yeah. We both looked at each other and said, that's where Ben was born. Mm -hmm. and they moved us into another room. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, it was a different room. Yes, it, they had, it was set apart slightly from the main labor and delivery ward. Mm. But you still hear babies crying when you walk in. Yeah, being born and being screaming. Born. Yeah. So, yes, we did feel peace, which truly is makes no sense other than the Spirit was giving us that peace. And there was a bit of joy, uh, anticipatory joy. Yeah. We, we were looking forward to meeting Yes. And at this point, we should say, we didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl. We did it. We thought at this point, they had confirmed when they said They'd said, we think it's died, a girl yeah. on the scan, but up to the scan on the day we she was confirmed know. dead, we didn't know. Yeah. So we were sort of, yeah. you know, looking forward to meeting mm -hmm. our daughter, mm -hmm. naming her. Yes. You know, yeah. seeing what she looked like. Yes, that's true. That hospital room did just have a sense of anticipation mm. and and that peace again. And mercifully, labor was very, very quick. I think they had given me something to help it move along. And 37 minutes? Yeah, of active labor, so it was very quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
But even things during labor are so different in that setting than when you're giving birth to a living, healthy child. Like mm. they were offering me morphine. You know, mm -hmm. they would never have given that to, they would never give that to a mother who's giving birth to a healthy baby. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is different. Mm -hmm. um, they're not monitoring a baby's heartbeat. That sounds really obvious, but mm -hmm. it's a different experience in many ways. Mm -hmm. But after that short labor, Layla, our daughter, mm -hmm. was born. And because she hadn't been bearing down, because she was dead, she was born completely in the amniotic sac, hadn't um, broken she had a like a fist under her mm. chin um she had dark hair she was seven pounds she was beautiful but mm. you could also see right away that death had already marred her body uh she did look like her big brother ben mm -hmm. but she was very floppy um and i noticed that right away it was sort of it upsetting was a, it was sort of a strange feeling holding a baby that would just sort of flop into yeah. your arms and you sort of had to work to sort of keep mm -hmm. her close to you mm -hmm. yeah i remember just sitting there holding her uh, you'd just given birth and the nurse handed her to me and uh i mean she was just absolutely beautiful and uh but it was the floppiness that mm -hmm. really struck me mm -hmm. you know and you know her skin had started to peel a little in places not everywhere and it was strange because she just looked like a perfect little baby mm -hmm. and I was sort of waiting for her to wake up. Yeah, she she really did look like she was sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Except that it is, it's called a stillbirth, there's such stillness, but mm. it's the quiet that's just so striking yeah. at that moment. The deathly silence. Yeah, fills a space. Mm. So there was deep, deep sadness. It was confronting to see a baby that was had mm. been dead a few days, but there was also joy. Mm -hmm. um, we we FaceTimed with all our family mm -hmm. in different parts of the world, introduced her to them, mm -hmm. and then Ben came to mm -hmm. see her. We wanted Ben to have as much tangible memory mm -hmm. as we could give him of his little sister, Yeah. rather than it be this sort of mystery to him. Mm -hmm. It was always gonna be a mystery at one level, but our good friend Sarah Dixon brought Ben, sorry, to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he didn't quite know what to do at first. Yeah. yeah, she was in a little cold crib that sort of is meant to preserve their deteriorating bodies for longer. But she was all wrapped up by that point in a blanket and had a little teddy bear. So she really did just look like a normal baby sleeping. So as soon as he came in, he was looking all around. Where is she? Mm. And he was curious and after a while he felt like he did want to hold her mm. he felt really proud sat up straight held out his arms as we had shown him he was three three and a half mm. um yeah and at that point we did sort of feel like a family of four mm. for uh, for a little bit in a normal way sometimes Ben and Johnny were playing on the hospital bed, moving the back up and down. I think it broke at one point. It was funny. There was mm -hmm. there was humor in the midst of grief and mm. this terrible sadness. But Yeah, and yeah. so we stayed a night with her in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I took Ben home. Sarah stayed with him that night, and then I came back to the hospital, and we, I, I slept on the floor beside your mm -hmm. bed, but we would take turns holding her through mm -hmm. the night. And then... Mm -hmm. Um, came the time around 2.30 that afternoon where we had to say goodbye to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wisely, the nurses had told us, make a time that you know you're going to leave. Otherwise, it will just, it's really hard to mm. make that decision that it's time to go. So that was, that was helpful to know mm. we had a time we were going to leave. So you've had, you know, nine months of waiting for this baby and excitement and preparation. And then you go into hospital, you labor for this baby, you deliver her, and then you you have to leave her. So I put her in, in the arms of a nurse. Don't know her name, I don't remember her name. And we left. With empty arms. Mm. Most parents walk out with the baby in a car seat 
with the balloons and the flowers and I remember walking past parents they were in front of us walking mm-hmm. with their baby carrying their baby out we saw others walking in with their car seat to go mm-hmm. and get the baby to take the baby home mm-hmm. and uh, we both I think I just remember us each squeezing each other's hands as we walked out and uh, we went home picked Ben up from nursery and uh, walked into an empty house mm-hmm. Moses, Moses basket beside the bed waiting to be used the whole yeah. change table set up. Everything. Nappies, pampers in there waiting to be <clears> used. <throat> and then we had a friend a few streets away two weeks later or so had a baby, mm-hmm. healthy baby boy, which we were very happy for them. Mm-hmm. But how did that make you feel where God had clearly blessed a family mm-hmm. a few streets away with a healthy baby mm-hmm. and in our case he had taken our precious daughter yeah. away. How, how did you process that? Yeah, I think one thing that I didn't struggle to process right away was God's sovereignty in our loss. So one thing that I did believe from the moment of her, the pronouncement of death, was that the Lord had numbered Layla's days for the womb only mm. and he called her home. Psalm mm. 139 speaks very clearly about that. Her days were written in his book before they came to being or yeah, came to be. So that was something I was secure in. I knew that the Lord was sovereign over all of this. There were no mistakes. We couldn't have done anything differently. I couldn't have saved Layla. Her days were numbered. God called her home. Mm. That was something that I knew from day one, thankfully. But I think the thing that I had to wrestle with more was, okay, God is sovereign over all things. He ordains whatsoever comes to pass. But how can he be good in this? Mm. You know, he blesses one family with the arrival of a healthy baby, but just before birth, he takes our baby home and we leave the hospital with empty arms. So that was something that was more a struggle for me, something I had to wrestle with and... I mean, you don't have to read far in the scriptures to see that again and again and again, it tells us that the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Mm. He is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Mm. Kind in all his works. Our baby just died. How how is that true? Mm. So I think that was the wrestling I had to do over the weeks and months and years even years following, Mm. how could God be good but also ordain these really terrible, hard things for us? Mm. And I think one part of Scripture I read a lot then and read a lot in the days and weeks following was Job, which is not Mm -hmm. surprising. And the verses the Lord really put on my heart at that time were, his answers to Job when he appears out of the whirlwind and says to Job, who had asked him to answer me. Mm. And the Lord says things like, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Mm. Have you been to the springs of the deep and the storehouses of snow? Have you commanded the morning? Those verses for me just reminded me that I don't understand Mm. And that I am very small in my understanding of the world and how God can be good and also ordain hard things to happen. Mm. And Job's answer is, um, I uttered things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Mm. <laughs> and that's been something that I've come to feel and believe mm. that mm. we will never have all the answers. We can't understand these deep and high things of a very powerful, almighty God mm. who is good always, mm. uh, but sometimes mysteriously so. Mm. And you're, we've both read a lot over the mm-hmm. years trying to grapple with it. Um, you've come across a lovely quote by John J. Murray, mm-hmm. a different Murray to the John Murray here yeah. at Westminster. But you want to give us that quote yeah. that it's, it really captures the Job mm-hmm. insight well? Yeah. 
It's from his little booklet, Behind a Frowning Providence, and he said, it was when Job was willing not to understand that he began to understand. Mm. And we've felt that to be true. There's a, a moment of surrender in these perplexing, mysterious providences of the Lord mm. uh, that we have to lay at the foot of a sovereign but good and kind Heavenly Father. Mm. After Layla died, when somebody would ask you, how many children do you have? Mm -hmm. And even today, the Lord's blessed us with two more children, Zachary mm -hmm. and Hannah. What's your answer when someone says, how many children do you have? Yeah. Um, there was a minister in the 1600s, Oliver Haywood. He had three sons, but his third died a few weeks after birth, and he had a beautiful answer. He would say, I have three sons, all living, only the youngest lives with God. So my answer is I have four children, all living, only the second lives with God. Mm. So I think one of the griefs of having a, a baby or a child die, especially complex when they die in the womb, is answering that question, how many children do you have? Um, you have nothing to show for your motherhood of that child who's no longer mm. here, but they are still our child. Layla is still our daughter in life and in death. So mm. I have four children. And you're still her mother. And I'm still her mother, I'm yes. I'm still her father. Mm -hmm. And we, we've learned to overcome the awkwardness when someone asks us that question and mm -hmm. sort of be proud to say yeah, yeah. I have four children yeah they normally say well what ages are they mm -hmm. 11 our daughter Layla would have been seven she's in heaven mm -hmm. Zachary four Hannah three and um it's been a sort of a beautiful thing for both of us to see that you are still a father or a mother mm -hmm. to your deceased child mm -hmm. but you've you've seen that in the gospels mm -hmm. as well do you want to share those lovely yeah. insights yeah, I think there's two beautiful examples in Luke's gospel, one in chapter six when a son of a widow has died and it's his funeral procession and his body is being carried out and his mother is there and Luke describes him as the only son of his mother. Mm. Uh, so in death, she is there still as his mother as much as she was when he was alive. Mm. And in the chapter following, Jairus's daughter has died and when they go into the house, Luke again says they went in and her father and mother went in too. Mm. Again, just this beautiful mm. affirming of their parenthood in death, just as it was true mm. when their children were alive. Mm. And it's connected to that. Um, you've seen that lovely truth affirming your motherhood mm -hmm. of Layla, who's deceased, but her soul is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Um have you ever doubted whether she is in heaven? Mm -hmm. Initially, no. I think I was confident right away she was with the Lord Jesus in heaven. And then a few years ago now, I, I was listening to some teaching and the teacher seemed to suggest we can't have much certainty or be sure that babies who died in the womb or in infancy are in heaven. I was with Johnny, I was with you at the time, and I looked right at you, tears in my eyes immediately, sort of panicking. And I thought, goodness, have I been believing a sort of pipe dream all these years? Is my mm. daughter maybe not with Jesus in heaven? So I had to do sort of a deep dive mm. at that point to be sure, could I have confidence that Layla was, in fact, safe in the arms of Jesus as we had been believing up to this point? Mm. So it was a panic moment where I thought, mm. oh, goodness. Um, so I had to look into it and read about it. Mm. I am now once again sure that she is safe in heaven. Mm. And the two main reasons that I'm sure, and I think there are others, and people have written about this in deep theological ways, which I'm not going to even attempt to explain. Um, but the two th two reasons why I'm sure Layla's in heaven is one, that our God is a God of the covenant. And he said in Genesis 17, this covenant is for you and for your offspring, for your mm. children. Mm. Uh, he always has worked this way. He rescues his people, adults, 
and children. Think of the his people coming through the Red Sea out of Egypt. There are fathers and mothers, there are teenagers, there are children, there are babies carried in their mother's arms, there are babies carried in their mother's womb. Mm. There were pregnant women walking through. He rescued parents and their offspring. Mm. And I think King David is an example of someone who believed this, Psalm 22, Mm. from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Mm. And then he experienced the death of one of his infant sons. And he says in Second Samuel, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. Mm. He was believing that he would see his baby again one day. Mm. So that by itself gave me confidence mm. that Layla, um, because of the covenant, is safe mm-hmm. in heaven. Mm-hmm. But the second reason is just the beauty of Jesus' invitation to children. Mm. Is it Matthew 19? Mm. One of the accounts, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. Mm. He welcomed children. Mm. He welcomed Layla. He welcomes infants. Um, We had um, our minister, Ian Hamilton, preach on the equivalent passage in Mark, Mm -hmm. Mark 10, about let the little children come to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, of such is the kingdom of heaven. It's not saying everyone needs to become like a mm-hmm. child to get into the kingdom of heaven, though that is true. It's saying that the kingdom will be made up of little children. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a beautiful thing when you see Christ's invitation to children and mm-hmm. to think that he would turn away a child that has been born in a covenant context mm-hmm. makes no sense when yeah. in when he was alive, he was welcoming the children mm-hmm. who belonged to the covenant community. Mm-hmm. And he was really angry with his disciples when they actually tried to push them away. Yeah. yeah. There's that, also that lovely part of the canons of Dort mm-hmm. that you and I find a great comfort that parents should not doubt yes. the salvation of their children, whom mm-hmm. God in his mysterious providence chooses to call out of their infancy mm-hmm. and they then turn to the covenant and they say because he is a god of the covenant yeah. and that's the only church with which we have to do that is the visible church mm-hmm. and god's promises to the visible church to you and to your children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and of course saints from many many years ago had experienced a lot more mm-hmm. infant death than we do today Thankfully, it's a lot less today, though it is still sadly common, more common than people realize. So Christians from the past have had to wrestle with this same question, Mm -hmm. and there are wonderful things written about it. Thomas Smythe is someone Mm -hmm. who has done a deep dive into Mm -hmm. how can we be sure, which I'm grateful for, Mm -hmm. and just to see these familiar names from the past who hold to the confidence that our babies are in heaven. Mm -hmm. Um. In the early days of your grief, uh, was there any particular verses that you read or received that became a real balm to you in mm-hmm. the midst of that grief? Yeah, I think I mentioned the Job verses really were a huge comfort to me. But there was one verse that a friend sent in those four dark days between Layla dying and then giving birth, and it was Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I was unfamiliar with that beautiful verse until this moment, Hmm. and it was just what I needed to hear at that Hmm. point that I could just collapse my grief knowing that God's everlasting arms were underneath me. Hmm. I felt like I was plummeting, falling in my grief, but actually to be reminded of the truth that God's everlasting arms were underneath me all the way was mm. a huge comfort. So that yeah. was a gift of a verse. Yeah. And what about the Lord Jesus? You know, he's mm. he's called the man of sorrows. Mm. And you and I have both talked about how that title has become so precious to us that in the midst of this grief, actually, we really have sensed him walking with us. Mm-hmm. You talk about those four dark days and thinking about what Christ experienced himself in Gethsemane yeah. and with the, the, the suffering that awaited him at mm-hmm. Calvary. 
Do you want to talk about your sweet fellowship mm -hmm. with the Lord Jesus during those oh, days? Oh, yeah. For the first time, I feel like I really met him as the man of sorrows. It's the first time I felt like I could actually see him up ahead of me carrying his cross and I was following behind him in suffering and in grief. And then I thought of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was to come for him on the cross, feeling that agony, his sweat like great drops of blood. And I thought, if I am feeling this terror at what's ahead for me, having to give birth to my baby who has died, how much more mm. terrifying was it for our Lord in the garden, knowing what was ahead for him? Mm. So just that gift of knowing Jesus better through suffering mm. uh, to be more conformed to him through suffering it was a sweet gift. I I loved him more than I had ever loved him before, even though I'd been a Christian for a very long time. Mm. He became a sweet friend in grief that I hadn't experienced before and now look back on and see as a precious gift from the Lord that I couldn't really have received any other way. You've spoken about verses that have been a balm to your soul were, were there any verses shared with you early on or since then that actually you find difficult maybe the timing of them mm. but also the verse mm -hmm. that actually thought I, I don't want to hear that right now yeah a couple of people very quite early on shared with me romans 8 28 we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him and i did i found that sort of too soon um, at the time that was hard for me to hear. I was sort of thinking, I know, I know that, but that doesn't help me right now. Mm -hmm. Um, as time has gone on, I of course know that verse to be true. I knew it was true. I've seen it in my life to be true that even in the death of Layla, he has been good and he has worked for my good. And the following verse I think is helpful in knowing what that looks like, that he is conforming us into the image of his son. So perhaps not the best timing to have shared that verse with me, mm -hmm. but as time has gone on, I've seen that it is indeed true that even in the hard things he does work for our good mm. because he's making us more like our older brother mm. who was the man of sorrows. You've spoken about how intense the grief was in those early days, the shock on that Monday morning those four dark days, the stillbirth, saying goodbye to Layla, that searing, sharp pain mm -hmm. when we had to say goodbye to her. Has the pain remained the same through this whole time or has mm -hmm. it changed? So it's been about seven and a half years since she died and it's definitely changed. Uh, the edges of grief are not as sharp. That said, I can still, as you saw earlier, <laughs> become overwhelmed with grief again and it can hit me in a fresh way and I can cry deeply all over again. But right after your baby dies, well, for me, right after Layla died, I thought I'll never enjoy the lightness of enjoyment in life I'll never laugh truly again. I might laugh, but it will always be with this sort of sadness behind it. You just can't see how you'll ever get through the crushing grief of the early days. But we are promised that our God is someone who is near to the brokenhearted and who is binding up our wounds. I think it's Psalm 147 says that. And while we will not be fully healed this side of heaven, that I will always carry this grief with me. As I look back on seven and a half years, I see um, remarkable ways the Lord has been healing my sore heart and binding up wounds. So it's not, it's not as fresh. It's not as sharp. Mm. It's there. It will always be mm. there. I'll always uh, feel someone missing. We'll always feel someone missing in our family. Mm. There's someone missing from our photos from our vacations so we'll feel that but the pain has softened mm. in a way you had a friend early on and i think even a lady wrote to you 
a lady who you'd never met who had herself experienced a stillbirth, they both said to you, you'll never be the same again. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Yeah, it, it is absolutely true in one sense that your life changes. At the same time, I am still Jackie and I still I have come to laugh again without this mm. sadness behind every moment of laughter. Uh, so there's beauty in that healing, but you are not, you don't go back to the way you were before. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to either. I know. There's something we've both said to each other often. Whilst we would take uh, Layla back tomorrow, mm -hmm. immediately, we'd, if we could, there's also something God has given us mm -hmm. in taking her away that mm -hmm. we would never have had. Yeah. Have not taken her away. Mm -hmm. um, there's a depth of sympathy now with people mm -hmm. when they grieve. Um, there's a longing for heaven that we never had yeah. before. Mm -hmm. um, there's a belief in the gospel, mm -hmm. like we've never believed oh, the gospel. Yeah. Or do you want to talk mm -hmm. a bit about that? What aspect of the gospel did we became so precious to us? Maybe perhaps around her burial, we chose yeah. to to have a funeral and to bury Layla. Mm -hmm. Other parents who have to decide what to do with their child, you know, they cremate, they find a resting place for mm -hmm. the ashes. Um, we chose to go with the burial, but what what aspect? Whether you cremate or you bury there's still the same truth mm -hmm. that parents can hope for mm -hmm. for their child. Yeah. Uh, at the graveside burial of Layla, our minister in Hamilton said, and we'll ne both never forget it, the enduring hope of the Christian faith is not the immortality of the soul, but the resurrection of the body. Mm -hmm. And that truth has become one of the most precious for us in the gospel. Mm. On Layla's coffin that she's buried in, we had the words engraved on the outside of her coffin awaiting the resurrection just to remind us as we think of her that her story is not finished yet. She is awaiting the resurrection. That hasn't happened for her yet. Mm. And so we cling to that same hope, knowing that if our Lord raised from the dead, then we have a sure hope that our baby will, and that one day we will too. Mm. I remember um, a lady at church, well-intentioned again, said to you soon after, you know, Layla's with Christ, which is far better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember you said to her, yes, but it's not yet best. Mm -hmm. It is better, but it's not best. Yeah. And I think as Christians, and this is what Layla's death did for us, mm -hmm. it gave us a real appreciation of Christ's body going into the mm -hmm. grave and being raised three days later mm -hmm. and that that's what's awaiting us and that the separation of soul and body that he experienced over three days and then the reunification of his soul and body mm -hmm. on that resurrection Sunday morning is what all of us, whether an infant or an adult or an elderly person, we all experience that separation mm -hmm. and we are awaiting that reunification of soul mm -hmm. and body in the resurrection mm -hmm. it's just it's over a far longer yeah. extended time mm -hmm. than it was for jesus and i think that's become really precious mm -hmm. to us so when we say the apostles creed or the mm -hmm. nicene creed mm -hmm. in church you and i sometimes look at each other and we believe in the resurrection yeah. of the dead <laughs> and the life everlasting uh -huh. you know it's yeah. like of course we do uh -huh. yeah you know? but that is something yeah. i didn't fully understand until layla died and mm. I was in the hospital holding her body. Mm. And maybe this sounds silly, but I think I even said to you, is she not with Jesus bodily now? Mm. But I'm, I'm literally holding her body. And it was truly that moment when I realized, no, there's a separation here. She does not yet have her new creation resurrected body in heaven. Mm -hmm. She's not reformed yet with her imperishable, glorious body she is awaiting the resurrection her story is not finished yet that was that was new for me mm. um that her story is not finished that it is better where she is she is happy she's with christ she has no wants or sadnesses of course but it's not finished yet they're in heaven the saints in heaven are waiting for the same thing we're waiting for now the return of Christ, mm. 
when their bodies and our bodies will be made mm. new and imperishable. Mm. So that was a new thing for me to learn and understand. Yeah. And it, it's made where we decided to lay Layla to rest. And again, parents do different things. Mm -hmm. Some cremate with ashes and sprinkle them in a river. Mm -hmm. uh, others, uh, you know, rest the ashes somewhere. And I want to just say here also, many mothers have experienced miscarriages mm -hmm. where they're, they can't have remains. Mm -hmm. Well, they try to, but so there's a grief there and a mystery there. They don't get to bury the remains of their child anywhere, mm -hmm. maybe. And that's mysterious, though the same truth mm -hmm. is true, <laughs> that those babies will get new creation bodies and they will rise. Now, there's mystery there because maybe there's no grave, mm -hmm. but they will still rise with resurrected bodies. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not like only some are going to get the resurrection experience mm. and others who uh, real souls and people who miscarried in their mother's mm -hmm. womb aren't. Mm -hmm. You know, their remains are somewhere. Yeah. And the Lord, in a mysterious way, will gather those remains together and raise that person from mm -hmm. the dead. And uh, that's what awaits us. And, and that's why for us, you know, the little graveyard in Cambridge mm -hmm. where Layla's buried is a very precious place mm -hmm. to us. Yeah. You know, I used to think of graveyards as memorials, mm -hmm. like that headstone is just a mere memorial. Mm -hmm. And now I've come to realize, no, that headstone marks a holy place, mm -hmm. a sacred piece of ground. Um, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow calls it God's acre. Mm -hmm. He's He's planted a seed. Mm -hmm. And he's waiting for it to come forth, mm -hmm. you know, with new life. Yeah. And uh, this whole aspect, again, if Layla hadn't died, I don't think we would have grown in our understanding mm -hmm. of the gospel mm -hmm. in these respects. Yeah. It's, it's really added a new dimension for us, mm -hmm. hasn't it? And one of the gospels says after Jesus's death, they laid Jesus in the tomb. Mm -hmm. You know, he's dead. It's just his body. His soul has departed. But it's still Jesus. Mm. And so we came to appreciate how precious the body actually is. Mm. Why did we spend all this time in the hospital with our baby after she had died? It's, mm. She's not really there. Well, because her body is part of her person, this very mm. precious person. So there's a sense in which we had to leave Layla, even though her soul was no longer there when we walked out. Mm. That's why their bodies really matter mm -hmm. their bodies are the seed sown mm -hmm. which god will use to create new creation bodies mm -hmm. it's like the kernel yeah yeah now you've written all of this up in a book <laughs> called you're still a mother a title which sinclair ferguson said is a shaft of light to mothers mm-hmm uh, the subtitle is Hope for Women Grieving a Stillbirth or Miscarriage. Uh, why did you choose to write a book? Because mm -hmm. I, I know <laughs> being your husband, you never had any ambition. Mm -hmm. At no point when Layla died or in the weeks or months after, were you like, I'm going to write a book mm -hmm. one day? No. This is seven and a half years later. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to write a book? Yeah. Well, after Layla died, there were many books that were a balm to me, some great Christian books on suffering. But what I was looking for as I was sort of scouring the internet was stories of women who had gone through my exact experience, who had been through a stillbirth. I wanted to hear from those mothers. And it was harder for me to find a book on that more specifically. Mm. And so as time passed, I thought maybe this could be a comfort to other mothers who have experienced a stillbirth or a miscarriage. These are sort of things I've learned over the time, mostly about God. Mm. Uh, so I, my hope is that it will be a comfort to mothers who have experienced this kind of loss, but Christian mothers. I did find books written by people who aren't Christians uh, describing their experience of stillbirth, but truly at the end of those books, they are just empty and 
sad, just really sad and hopeless. Mm. But because we're Christians who believe the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, we are those who grieve with hope, Mm. precious hope, and God's word is just full of riches that can minister to our souls Mm. in grief. So I wrote this book to try and be a comfort to some mothers and Mm. to point them to the hope we have in Christ. Mm. And the cover, I think, captures that hope. It's a lovely blue cover, Mm -hmm. but it's got daffodils on it. Yeah. Why daffodils? Mm -hmm. I think I said at the very beginning that Layla was due in the spring, or maybe I didn't say that, but she was due in March, so Northern Hemisphere spring. And when she died... There were daffodils blooming, and in fact, Ben, our three-and-a-half-year-old at the time, picked a daffodil and given it to me, and I think it was still on our mantelpiece when Layla died, and I remember looking at all these daffodils after she had died and just seeing that victorious spring hope that these flowers every year push up through that hard, wintry soil and remind us that winter can never hold back the spring, that after death comes life. And mm. so daffodils, for that reason, became just tied to Layla. People are probably sick of me talking about daffodils sometimes or taking photos of daffodils, but they are the flower we associate with our daughter. But it's a beautiful picture of spring, resurrection hope, but also daffodils bloom for such a short amount of time Mm. they're so beautiful but they're so brief their life Mm. they've opened and you know within weeks they've died and Mm. so that's also a nice parallel that our daughter bloomed for such a short time Mm. but was beautiful and very precious Mm. however long she had lived in the womb Mm. Um, and at her mm. funeral in the ceremony in hamilton had a sort of throwaway line he told us afterwards it wasn't in his notes Mm -hmm. but he had spoken about Layla's testimony and you and I were both a bit like (laughs) what is he going to say about Layla's testimony she never lived outside the Mm -hmm. womb nine months old and yet never lived outside the womb but he he said hers was a glorious testimony Mm. she pointed us all to another world Mm -hmm. she pointed us all to God yeah and then he just said Layla the evangelist yeah. And people who were at that funeral, 150 people came to her funeral. And people today who write to us on her anniversary always say, We've never forgotten Layla the Evangelist. Mm-hmm. And so I know it's your desire and mine that this beautiful book you've written called You Are Still a Mother is our daughter's evangelism. Mm-hmm. 